Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring inspiring conversation with people at the grassroots and the grass tops, doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, or generally striving to make our democracy live up to its promise of a more perfect union. I hope their stories will inspire you to learn more about them or to take action on your own. Head over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. I'm excited to have my friend Stacey Kramer back on the podcast this week. She first came on two years ago as a newly activated Democratic fundraiser who was making fundraising more Democratic. But after the disappointing down-ballot results for Democrats in 2020, she took a hard look at what had gone wrong and realized that giving large amounts of money directly to candidates and campaigns is not a winning strategy. Now she's changed activist gears and is a consultant at Blueprint, a division of the political action group Swing Left. At Blueprint, Stacy is dedicating her time to building up local grassroots civics groups in order to build democratic infrastructure so that Democrats can win. We talk about the law of diminishing returns when it comes to campaign giving, how Republicans have been successfully cultivating the grassroots for decades, and the expertise that Blueprint provides, giving donors the assurance that their gifts will have maximum impact. To learn more about Blueprint, go to blueprint.swingleft.org or email Stacy at stacykramer at me.com. And now here's my conversation with Stacy Kramer. Stacy Kramer, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. So the last time we spoke, almost two years ago, you were a Democratic fundraiser extraordinaire, tirelessly hosting event after event for candidates in the lead up to the 2020 elections. But since then, you've changed activist gears. Tell me what you're doing now. So now I am a consultant with Blueprint, which is a new division or recently new division of Swing Left created in 2020 with the idea that we Democrats weren't doing enough to help in swing in red states. So it was created originally as an online platform, as a hu- an impactful hub for Democratic political giving with the idea that we put data and strategy behind it to figure out where money could be spent most effectively. And in 2020, they raised, Blueprint raised about $5 million. A large part of that went to grassroots groups. And then a portion of that also went to strategically targeted up and down ballot races. But interestingly, Blueprint was not recommending giving to races like Jamie Harrison and Sarah Gideon and all the races that many of us were still giving to. And many of us, including me, (laughs) were hosting events and asking people to continue donating to in the vain hope that they would win these long shot elections. As it turned out, the polling was terrible and it was an enormous waste of money. So looking back, I don't think I would do that again. And I spent a lot of time figuring out what had gone so very wrong. And that was sort of how I ended up coming to Blueprint. That's really interesting. So you think that you think that local grassroots groups are a better use of people's money at this point rather than donating to candidates? Definitely. Much better. Do you think that polling is fatally flawed? Like we just can't get a read? Well, I don't know enough about polling, so I shouldn't I can't really go deep into yeah. the rabbit hole on that, but I do know that a lot of the polling was incredibly flawed 
in 2020, especially with regard to the Senate campaigns. They were also continuing to raise money for people like Amy McGrath and Sarah Gideon. And what we later learned, in fact, I think I may have sent it to you a New Republic article that discusses the law of diminishing returns for many of these races. Like at a certain point, Amy McGrath was buying ads on MSNBC during the Rachel Maddow show, which is, you know, the most expensive ad buy you can find. And that was not going to impact her race at all. Her voters were not going to be watching that largely. And certainly the people on the margin that you're shaving off were not going to be watching those ads. And at a certain point, digital advertising as well just isn't going to help you win a race. But what can help you win a race, and certainly it was shown in Georgia, is years and years of organizing on the ground. And that is how not just the state flipped to Biden in 2020, but also that is how Warnock and Ossoff won. They would not have won those races without those 20 years of organizing in the ground, much of it thanks to Stacey Abrams and Ense Ufot, who runs New Georgia Project and Black Voters Matter, Latasha Brown's work. I mean, they were going into communities where Democrats never went, candidates, campaigns never went. And that was how they educated and registered and mobilized voters. And also the people going into these communities were trusted people who had worked in these communities. They had relationships in these communities. They do work that campaigns and staff can't do because in many cases, the campaigns and staffs are coming in for a brief period of time, packing up and going. And a lot of these voters are distrustful in general. They haven't seen government help them. And they certainly aren't going to trust someone who comes in for six months. They understand the cynicism built into the system. So it's a problem. And Arizona was the same. Groups like Lucha and Arizona Wins were largely responsible for flipping that state. So it can't be done with campaigns and campaign money because the campaign money doesn't go it doesn't support this kind of infrastructure building throughout the state, which helps to bring voters to the polls. And that work takes years because it's not just about mobilizing voters, right? You have to educate them. You have to build trust with them. They have to better understand who they're voting for, specifically, you know, down ballot races, because they don't really understand, you know, to some extent who's running and they're not that interested because it hasn't helped them over years. But if you better understand in your your municipal races, your local races, your state races, you know, you are more inclined to vote. That's what they're doing. And that is not in any way what campaigns and candidates and politicians are doing. So that was sort of what I discovered and what, interestingly, Republicans have been doing for the past 30 years is that kind of intensive on the ground work. And that is how we ended up where we are. Give me an example of what Republicans have been doing that's, I don't know about these groups. I only know about the Democrats. I mean, thanks to, you know, yeah, beyond just Coke and Mercer money, Republicans have been building for the past 30 years, possibly even longer, in these incredibly powerful grassroots, radicalized grassroots groups on the right. I mean, a friend of mine who I think you may or may not have met, Kyle Spencer, actually just wrote a book about it called Raising Them Right that will come out in September. And it's all about the grassroots groups on the right and how they take, first of all, they're incredibly well-financed, unlike the Democratic groups. So they'll often start people out in college. So bringing them on very early, salarying them in college. And 
it's almost like a tech type industry. There, you know, there's incentives for them. Their offices are beautiful as compared to, I mean, Kyle spent the last couple of years sort of embedding with these far right groups. And she said the difference was stark. She would go to places like Arizona and she'd meet with these far right groups. And interestingly, they knew that she was a former New York Times reporter, but they were happy to welcome her because they're so proud of their work. So she discovered the incredible work that they had been doing over 30 years. I mean, in a lot of this work, was about Roe v. Wade. I mean, they have been laying the groundwork for what we're now seeing (laughs) happen, which is, you know, building state rights and essentially repealing everything that we have, all the progress we've worked towards for the last 30 years. But we were sort of blind to it. Democrats never invested in infrastructure. We have continued over the last 30 years, sort of blithely invest in politicians and candidates as they realized that building power in states was going to be their way to essentially build power in this country. And also with a minority, they realized this was going to be a way to keep the majority, right? And we were just not paying attention. I mean, that's the kind of simplest way to explain it. There's not really a great explanation for how we dropped the ball, but we did. So that what she discovered is that they've been around for a long time and they have been incredibly effective by getting these kids young and keeping them aboard. And many of them come on in college and again, they're paid as opposed to a lot of the work that's done on the left. We don't have money. We're woefully underfunded. People aren't paid. (laughs) Many times they, they don't recruit in college. We don't just we don't have the manpower that they have to do this, women power, manpower. And it was a scary juxtaposition that she found that we, you know, we had underinvested in states and that's, we're seeing what happens when you do that. And she was also seeing offices where they had, you know, a hundred people versus offices where you had 10 and you just can't do the outreach to voters with that kind of, you know, inequity going on. Right. You just don't have the people going out into the field, which is what you need. And they and the other thing they were able to do is they started, you know, because they have so much money, they were building community centers in Latino areas. And when you make people's lives better by giving them some kind of hope in a community center or even though it's a false hope, because ultimately all you want to do is continue to build your power to repeal the laws that ultimately are gonna hurt these voters, it tends to work. The Democrats weren't able, or at least the grassroots groups weren't able to build the same kind of, or didn't have the kind of money to develop community centers in these areas. I mean, the other thing that was sort of shocking that I found that Lucha told me. And just tell people what Lucha is. Lucha is Living United for Change in Arizona, which is the largest grassroots group on the left in Arizona. They also, control 34 other grassroots groups within the state. So they're pretty much in every county and they're Latino run and led group. They're pretty amazing. They actually are responsible not only for mobilizing, educating and registering voters. In addition, they help pick state ledge candidates, municipal candidates. They were responsible for getting Kirsten Cinema. In because they thought that she was going to be a good candidate. And now they're going to be responsible for getting her out. Live and learn. (laughs) They're supporting Ruben Gallego and they started early. They're an incredible group and they have, they live in these communities in which they work. 
So, but they're woefully, again, underfunded. They just don't have the resources that the groups on the right have. But one of the things they told me that was both depressing and interesting was that in 2020, they were in contact with the Biden administration and they were saying, like, we aren't getting, A, the support we need, and B, you don't have the communication skills that you need to communicate with the Latino voters here. There's a lot of different vernaculars from like Chicano, and I don't know all of them, so I can't speak to it specifically, but the point is that they were basically, the or the Biden campaign was using Google Translate, largely for a lot of their literature. <laughs> and the Republicans, the Republican groups had gone into the communities and found you know, native speakers and their literature was much better. It was much more effective at communicating because they had speakers in each of these vernaculars who were speaking to, you know, these different groups in Arizona. So it makes a big difference whether you're speaking their language or you're using Google Translate. Absolutely. So there were so many things that were going wrong (laughs) all at once. I mean, it is kind of amazing. We still won. It just shows you that like you can sort of out-organized to some extent, voter suppression, which is largely what happened in Georgia and Arizona and even parts of Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. But it's going to get harder because, you know, as these states are controlled by Republicans, they're going to pass laws they are going to make it even harder. And these groups, again, are going to need money to continue to combat it. And they're going to need money to help because what I think is interesting is that people now have real Democrats finally realized that state led races are important. Right. Because we know that that's how you build state power. But unfortunately, we're not <laughs> we're not necessarily doing it the right way. As usual, we're, we're financing state led candidates and you can't just win races by financing state led candidates because they don't have the staff to win the election. They don't have the staff to do the outrage that you need. So what they do is these state language candidates work in conjunction with these organizations throughout the country, because that is how working together and working is going to be working effectively to mobilize voters. Right. So anyway, all of this was sort of a big learning process after 2020, because I was incredibly frustrated with the money both I raised and the billions that were in general raised and were not used for anything but largely advertising. <laughs> you know, when you build nothing with that kind of money. And yeah. you leave nothing. It was it was very frustrating for all of us. And it took there was like you said, there's a learning curve. We all I mean, in what feels like the dark ages, but it was probably like twenty seventeen when we all started to learn, oh, it's actually important for us to donate if we live in a blue state to actually donate and support candidates in really far away states that have absolutely no impact on our lives. And we had to learn why that was important, right? But it's obvious to some degree because if you are elected, you have power. And with that power, you can hopefully, potentially affect change. Are you finding the same kind of like disconnect now when you talk to people about grassroots groups like, Why do I want to support a group in, you know, Arizona? How hard is it to teach people this? It's very hard. (laughs) Also, because as we're talking about, Democrats have traditionally given to candidates. Democrats like shiny things and shiny things are politicians and candidates. And these grassroots leaders are amazing. They're incredible workers, but they're not 
politicians. They don't come in and do parlor tricks like a Cory Booker, who's, you know, he's a performer. And they're not performers. They're in their communities day in and day out. They're on the front lines of our democracy, but they're not on TV. And that makes an enormous difference when you're in a room with donors. You can have someone like a Connor Lamb or a Cory Booker or you know, Hakeem Jeffries, and there you watch people's faces change because they know how to get to them. They know how to perform. They've been trained for this job for years. They know how to wring money out of people. And I'm not in any way denigrating them because I support all of them and they're great candidates and many, and I think great politicians. But it is very different when you're getting grassroots leaders into a room. They're soft-spoken. They don't talk in headlines. They talk in fine print because that's what their lives are about. And when you're talking in fine print and you're living in a social media world where everything is headlines, it's hard. It's a big transition. And it's not going to happen overnight. And I can see it in the room. It takes a lot of conversations. And when Swing Left built Blueprint, the idea was it would be an online platform. But it's hard to only have an online platform because you can't just drive traffic to that so easily because it does take a learning curve and learning curves are often conversation. We're still humans. And to go on to the Blueprint website, you have to have some amount of knowledge about what grassroots groups do, right? You have to have some kind of belief system that's already in place to go on and contribute and become a part of Blueprint. So my work has been trying to take the donor network that I built, largely in LA and New York, but also in other parts of the country like Boston, DC, North Carolina, and convert these people to be grassroots donors. I mean, the thing is that politicians, candidates, in many cases, they just don't need your money. Even those local races. I mean, some of the local races do need your money, but again, it is the law of diminishing return. They only need so much money and they can't win elections without the work of the grassroots groups in their states, because they're not the ones registering and mobilizing voters. And that's what I continue to tell people, but it is hard. People want to give to candidates and also giving, democratic giving has traditionally been emotional, right? People love to feel the heat of the race. They want a winner or, you know, they want a winner, ideally, but <laughs> they'll give even if it's, I mean, like people continually give to Beto, so they give to losers, but they like a race. And these grassroots groups aren't about races because they're working day in and day out, regardless of election years. They don't close their doors after elections. They keep working. Right. And okay, tell me a little bit about what they do do in those off years. What are they doing for the community besides, they can't just be getting out the vote when there's no vote no, to get no, out or, or I mean, registering people. What other services do they perform to sort of gain the trust of their community? I mean, many services. I mean, in Arizona, they are working with immigrants. They're working with, you know, they're helping people with their visas. They're some of whom are dreamers. They're, it's such an enormous range to reproductive rights, to literally everything in their community. They do, I mean, they, again, woefully underfunded, but they do provide community centers with childcare, with after school classes. But um, the work I do is on the C4 side, which means it, it is their electoral work. 
So that would, a lot of that work is on the, most of these organizations have C3 divisions as well. And so the C3 divisions are, you know, tax deductible contributions. They're not electoral work. So that work involves everything from helping to provide resources in every way possible to families, to individuals, to recent immigrants to the United States, to jobs. But I don't work on any of that stuff. So, but that is what they're doing year in and year out and day to day in their community. They're community leaders largely, but on off years on the C4 side, they're helping to find candidates for down ballot races. They are educating voters. They are still registering voters. There's a lot of electoral work that can be done outside of the cycle. And if it's not done outside of the cycle, you know, then you're racing inside the cycle to get it all done, you know. But looking at candidates is incredibly important in those down periods, you know. Yeah. And many of the people from these groups that are trained by these groups end up running, which is also interesting, you know. So they're finding people within these groups that can be amazing politicians, which is interesting. Okay, so let's talk about Blueprint and what they do. How do they identify which groups to support? I mean, there must be thousands around the country. And where giving would be most impactful? So a lot of that work is done by different, both consultants for Blueprint. Currently, we have someone named Taylor Holden, who does a lot of that work for us. She's amazing. She's been doing this for like 15 years. She's also been a donor consultant for years and previous to that was a grad worked within grassroots groups and she's also worked for way to win so she has a real she's kind of a great bird's eye view of this landscape she knows the groups incredibly well and she coordinates as well with groups like way to win which is an enormous donor circle that Unlike Blueprint, that's the other thing I should mention, which is an important distinction between groups like Way to Win, which I think are amazing, and Blueprint. Way to Win, and there are many other groups like this, are large, large donor circles. But there's an enormous buy-in. I think it might be as high as like 50000 a year. So traditionally, donor groups like that were for largely very wealthy people, right? So the idea, the other idea of Blueprint was to kind of give people the benefits of a donor circle for any amount of buy-in. You can literally put a dollar in if you want. And that is one of the, Blueprint is one of the first groups doing that. Because traditionally, wealthy people have their own donor advisors and that's what helps you make smart decisions about who to donate to because they're not doing this in a vacuum. Donor advisors are talking to a ton of other donor advisors and they're talking to movement voter group and other groups that do this kind of work that look at grassroots groups. But as an individual, none of us can do that. So what we've done is we've taken those, you know, advisors, that professional service and made it, you know, a more democratic process for everybody. So, but we have the ability through Taylor and through the other groups that Swing Left has relationships with again, like Movement Voter Project, which has been doing this for a long time, to talk with them and find out like which groups are most effective on the ground, which groups are registering the most voter, mobilizing voters. And then you look at the past and what they've done. And quite frankly, every quarter it's reevaluated because sometimes in rare cases, 
certain groups get enough financing. And so we shift to other groups that need more financing. A lot of these groups are umbrella groups. And as I said before, they, you know, they control like 30 to 40 groups within various states. So they'll, it's also a matter of like, okay, well, you know, which groups do we want to give to that are working with, you know, bigger, you know, wider networks. So sometimes we'll shift focus to the groups working with wider networks and the groups working with smaller networks, depending on the cycle and, you know, where the impact is needed. So yes, it's, it's complicated, but there are enough people within both Swing Left, Blueprint, and then in the wider network in which we're working to get good information. And again, this kind of information, it's been out there for wealthy donors, and it just hasn't been available for people like me, the average donor who doesn't want to give an enormous portion of her income, but wants to give smartly. That actually is an incredible service. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, people don't know about it, but yes. (laughs) Right. People don't know to support grassroots groups, and then people don't know how to support grassroots groups, and Blueprint makes it all really easy. I'm, I don't want to sound like a commercial for Blueprint, but it's actually amazing. So obviously, these consultants help them, like you said, identify the most important and impactful groups working out there. But does Blueprint choose which states to work in, or along with Swing Left? And how do they make that choice? So a lot of that, so every cycle, again, it changes. We are doing that with an eye towards where we can win elections, honestly. That is, you know, while we also want to help, and that's more off-cycle work. So, for example, right now we're working in seven states because we think those seven states in the midterms have winnable elections up and down ballot with a particular focus on state-led races, flipping state legislatures where we think it's, or making inroads into state legislatures. So that's Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, North Carolina, Arizona, and Georgia. And then, of course, there's incredibly important governor races in almost all of those states. There's, in a couple of those states, Senate races that we think are winnable. And again, we're looking at states where grassroots groups can be incredibly effective and are effective, and where they're going to work well and have proven to work well in conjunction with the candidates. So those are the seven states that we feel like we can do the most, we can have the most impact, do the best work right at this moment. But it doesn't mean that we're not like there, for example, we have giving circles that want to invest in Texas because that's something that's important to them. And it's about the long game. It's about moving it forward, right? Brick by brick. And so there are groups like Move Texas that are doing great work in Texas I don't think we're focused on Texas at the moment because we feel like the voter suppression there is kind of overwhelming and it's going to be really hard to win races like the governor's race and certain congressional races and state-led races at the moment. So again, we're focused on where we think we can have the most impact in November 22. And that'll change for 24. Right. You just mentioned giving circles. Do you just want to say something briefly about that? So you can you have the option to donate as an individual or you can create your own giving circle. Can you join or can you join an existing giving circle? How do those work? Not really. I mean, what happens is most giving circles are people, a group of people who know each other, right? And have worked together in some way, often to raise money together or, 
are just friends. So you would be best if you don't have a giving circle to just join Blueprint on your own and then take the, I mean, you can take the recommendation we give, or you can also choose for yourself where you'd like to give, where you'd like to put your money. So even if you're giving $20, you can say, I would like this to go to Michigan. Yes, you can direct it. Exactly. Or you can just take the recommendations on the site. But we work with a number of giving circles and that comes about in different ways. Some of it has been through previous relationships that we've had, that I've had through candidate giving to people who wanted to pivot away from candidate giving and wanted to turn to grassroots giving or a combination of grassroots and state-led candidates. Sometimes giving circles come about after a live event, as we discussed I had done a lot of live events for candidates over the past five years, and now I'm doing more live events with grassroots leaders and I involve other you know, people who are sort of in this world to come and chat and basically educate people as to why this is better giving. And so out of those conversations, people will often, with their friends, form a giving circle. And then the giving circles vary in terms of how they work. Some people just want to give and we will set up, they will just want to have like, you know, one-time giving, or maybe they want to give each quarter and they want to pick specific states within which we're working. So maybe three or four states, depending on how much they'll raise. And so we'll pick a couple groups in those states, we'll reevaluate every cycle, and then we'll give new recommendations, you know, every quarter. Sometimes giving circles want to have events as well to bring in. So there'll be like five, six people on their steering committee. But then within that steering committee, each of them have concentric circles and will set up either Zooms or, you know, in-person events where they can bring in their friends. And it'll be a different conversation each cycle, maybe with the grassroots leaders for one event where people can meet and ask questions and hear what is actually going on in the ground. One can be with the state ledge candidates that once they're chosen, that they're supporting. Sometimes they just want to hear more about Blueprint and the work that's being done. And so that'll be with me. And then someone like Taylor Holden, who is our sort of resident expert, or Ethan Todris Whitehall, who founded Swing Left. And sometimes he'll come in to the Blueprint giving circles and just discuss kind of the landscape, which is a more general conversation of how we build towards the future. Because ultimately Blueprint, while we're focused in 22 on winning as many up and down races as we can, we're also looking towards the future. So anything that we're directing money towards is with an eye towards building democratic infrastructure, needed, desperately needed democratic infrastructure in these red and swing states. So it's sort of two things. It's short and long-term. Right. Okay, so after four years of Trump and the intensity of the 2020 election and then the January 6th insurrection and now these, you know, Republican state houses just going rogue, I'm finding that people are not engaging in the same way. I feel that there's just still this sense of burnout and exhaustion what can you say that would motivate people to start giving in this environment? Not to, like we were talking about, not to the Sarah Gideons, not to the Amy McGraths, and I don't know that any of those people are running this cycle, maybe, like the Beddows, but to local civics grassroots organizations instead. How can you get these people excited? 
I would say that democracy is on the line. <laughs> so if you want to keep our democracy, you need to give to the groups that are on the front lines of our democracy. I mean, it's a war. And if you want to win it, <laughs> you're going to have to give to the soldiers on the ground. They're the soldiers. So, I mean, it's kind of simple. Democracy is on the ballot and you're either going to vote for or against it. And I understand that everybody is exhausted. I feel the same way. And also we're constantly pelted with more and crazier <laughs> Republican propaganda. And at a certain point, I mean, now they're talking about grooming and like, you know, the craziness, I mean, from repealing Roe v. Wade to, I don't mean, you know, my guess is they're going after, you know, gay marriage as well. And it's exhausting. And your inclination is to turn it all off. I know that I have to take breaks from Twitter because it is too much, but... If there's a way for people to tune back in, even briefly, and meet and talk to these grassroots leaders, I think it's inspiring in a way that nothing else is, at least for me. Just talking to them has given me a new sort of vigor that I didn't have because I was definitely beaten down, but they just have such a different perspective. What they're seeing is not what we're seeing. And more, of course, in you know little blue bubbles. So they're in marginalized communities. They're talking to people who have like this great belief in America. They've come to America in many cases from places where they were persecuted, places where they couldn't live a free life. And now they're finding the same persecution here. And it's just amazing what these people do day after day, despite all the odds that are against them. And it's been an incredible journey watching watching them, meeting them, seeing with, with little money and little support what they can still do. So that's what I would say. I would say, come meet them, <laughs> you know, or you can learn about them online. You can certainly go to their websites. You can, you know, read their social media feeds. You can see what they're doing out in the field every day. I mean, there's plenty of videos, certainly with groups in Georgia. I mean, and we all know what New Georgia Project, we can see what they're doing. We see what Fair Fight is doing. We see what Black Voters Matter are doing because those are the videos that go viral. But, you know, there's a Stacey Abrams in every single state. And we just have to shine a light on her and people just have to meet her. Because I feel like people are inspired to continue to give to Georgia. And we just have to get them to do that throughout the country if we want to keep our democracy. Well, thank you. I think that's really powerful. So if people want to learn more about Blueprint, about Giving Circles, about these groups, what should they do? So they can go to Blueprint and read about it online. If they're in New York or L.A., they can come to a live event, in which case they can email me, Stacey Kramer at me.com. If they're interested in finding out more, if they want to form a giving circle, they can also email me and I can walk them through that process of forming a giving circle. I can bring them into an event that we're having in person and or I can just have a conversation with them to let them know more because it is a learning process and I'm sort of here to help people learn because I also needed to be, <laughs> I needed to be educated and I wouldn't have, I think, felt as passionately or powerfully about this work had I not spent several months learning about it and learning about these groups. And I can also, you know, see there are plenty of articles. There's a New Republic article that 
specifically addresses both of these issues, the overgiving to candidates and the undergiving to the high performing grassroots groups. And it, I can I can put a link yeah, to that as well. You know that article, right? The, the New Republic yeah. article. But it's something that people only started looking at after 2020, really shining a light on it, which is bizarre because it's been going on for a while. But suddenly, I think with the Senate races, everybody and with Georgia winning, people were, you know, there was a great need to understand better what was happening. Okay. Well, Stacy, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation to hear about your personal pivot, about your learning curve. And I know how deeply invested you are in all of this. And so that really carries a lot of weight for me personally. So thank you so much. And thank you for doing everything you're doing. Thank you. You've been a great defender of democracy yourself for your podcast, which I love, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.